This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Before jumping into the podcast, we have a quick new segment called Data Drops brought to you by Placer.ai. Today's data drop is about off-price shopping. The off-price apparel category is experiencing an impressive recovery with off-price visits regularly outperforming the wider apparel recovery rate. Visits to Ross Dress for Less, TJ Maxx, and Burlington have been up every month this year when compared to 2019. While July visits to apparel sector only grew an average of 3.8% when compared with July 2019, Ross Dress for Less, TJ Maxx, and Marshalls saw a year-over-year increase in monthly visits of 11.3%, 7.2%, and 12.1% respectively. And Burlington saw the most impressive increase with visits up 12.3%, 13.5%, and 25.4% in May, June, and July 2021 when compared to the equivalent months in 2019. Ross Dress for Less has announced 60 new stores by the end of 2021, and TJX Companies plans to open 122 net new stores over 2021. Burlington, meanwhile, expects to have 75 new stores open by the end of 2021. To me, this is exciting. I think there's a lot of reasons why we're seeing this. In the Great Recession, 2008, the consumer started to really crave value. Off-price retailers started to grow at a rapid pace, and they had the branded product at immense values. Not only did they have producted values, they had this experience factor where you can find one of a kind or only one of something, and it was a treasure hunt to go through. And it's really resonating with the consumer. I think the off-price model has really been a shining star in the retail industry, and I expect it to continue to be that um, because of their convenience and open-air shopping centers, the experience they bring, and the value they create. Stay tuned as we continue to drop more data drops from Placer.ai. Thanks. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. I am joined today by Paul Youssef. Paul is a principal at MWT. They are an authorized AT&T dealer with 28 locations in the Midwest. I am excited for him to be on the show. Welcome, Paul. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Paul, why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yep. Uh, Paul Youssef. Um, I'm the principal of Millennium Wireless Technology, MWT, and we have 28 locations in uh, Michigan and Wisconsin. Uh, we're headquartered out of Troy, Michigan. So, Excellent. Paul, I'm fascinated to know because there are so many different franchises one can get into. How did you end up in the authorized retailer of a major cell phone brand? Great question. Um, so when I was in high school, I was working for my uncle. My uncle owned um, uh, an Ameritech cellular store. That store sold pagers um, and a little bit of cell phones at the time. So we're talking like 96. Yep. Um, and so my job was to fix pagers in the back of the store. Hmm. Um, 
And so that's, that's what I did after school. I would leave, I would like leave school and, you know, get to the store and they had like all like five or 10 pagers that needed to be repaired from the morning, like from that morning, people come in um, that, that needed their pagers fixed or reprogrammed. Right. So I'd come in, knock them out. And that's what I did every day after school. Excellent. How did that turn into you owning 28? Okay. So good question. Um, I continued to work for this, for my uncle, um, repairing pagers. I eventually, when I graduated high school, um, I was, I was going to like a local community college, but I was, I was also running, running this, uh, Ameritech cellular store. Um, I, I became the store manager and I did that um, probably till I was about 19. So a couple of years after, after high school, um, a gentleman from AT&T or at, at the time Ameritech, he was like an account representative. He, he saw what I did. Like he saw once I, he saw what happened when I took over the store as a store manager and how the sales, um, how the sales were doing. He approached me um, and just said, Hey, look, like you're doing a really good job. How would you like to own your own um, your own store one day? I I really didn't know what to say. I didn't really have money, but there was a gentleman. Um, there was a gentleman named Al Johnson. He he had one location. He um, he was trying to exit the business. He was retiring, and um, I was introduced to Al. Al was a really good guy, and he, you know, my dad actually he refinanced our house. And I think he pulled out like $50,000. And I used those proceeds to, to buy the business wow. and get working capital. So I think I was like 19 years old. It was, it was pretty, you know, at the time it was pretty stressful, Chris, just because it was, uh, you know, taking that kind of money and knowing like, you know, how it was, you would leverage the house. So, you know, that, that was, uh, that was a big deal. Was, yeah. 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 You know, big deal. Well, kudos to you. Before we get started, I, we have a segment in the show called Clear the Air. I've got three questions. They're fun questions. Tell me when you're ready. Go ahead. Okay. Question one. What is one skill you don't possess but wish you did? Speed reading. Man, me too. That is a good one. You get so much information put in front of you. You have to evaluate. If you could get through it, in half with, the time, man. With retention. Like, I have to be able to retain it. Obviously, you have to be able to retain it. Yeah, yeah, good point. Okay. Question two. When is the last time you tried something for the first time? Um, a couple of years ago, I um, went out because I wanted to learn more about commercial real estate. Um, and I, I got a, my CCIM designation, took all the classes, and, and got, got this designation. It was really wow. Cool. That is a cool, yeah. cool one. Not many franchisees, authorized retailers would get a CCIM. Why don't you explain what a CCIM is? Uh, yeah, so the CCIM is a certified commercial investment member. That's the acronym that it stands for. And they basically teach you everything you, you wanna know about, um, about a commercial real estate investment and they what's cool is they cover 
it's like four major modules. Uh, they cover like how to look at the market, how to analyze the numbers, um, how to, um, they go to how to like make decisions of which investment property to go after. Like if you have option A and option B, how do you make the decision of, of, of which, which one to buy? Um, a, a lot of it is, um, it was the best thing I ever did because we would like to own more of the, you know, the buildings that, that we, that we do, do business in. And so that's kind of like what, that was like the catalyst of, uh, what made me want to, want to do it. But, um, I, I would highly recommend it to anybody that wants to further their commercial real estate, um, investment, like know-how and, and really understand it from the investor's perspective. So there was a lot of brokers in that. Most of the people in the class were brokers and they, they wanted to understand like how to present to their, um, and, you know, potential clients and, and stuff like that. So, uh, and what it's like sitting on their side of the table. So I think it was, uh, it was a great class. I, I learned a lot. Yeah. I I've heard good things. I, don't have one, but I've heard good things. You mentioned to own some of your buildings. You have 28 stores. How many yeah. of those 28 stores do you own the, the underlying real estate? We don't. We don't own any of our current real estate right now. Okay. Um, one of the major reasons is, is because we always select the best real estate in the trade area. So if, if it was between owning our building or being on main and main and paying 40 bucks a foot, we're, we're going to be on main and main because you'll just, the way it works for us is we'll just make so much more money than trying to just own the real estate. Yeah. Who owns it is less relevant as long as you're operating your business in what you consider the best real estate. Yeah. And I will tell you this, Chris is um, through the CCIM class, when it came to studying markets, um, I learned a lot about how to study markets and um, the tool, some of the tools that were, uh, available and how to use those tools. And so I've been able to use those tools to help me make better real estate decisions for our AT&T business. That's, that's, that's a good one to hear. Cool. All right. Question three, what is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? Okay. So I, I hate mayonnaise. Oh boy. And I think it should be banned. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh, we have to disagree on this one. However, I understand, Sorry. but I do like mayonnaise. So no chicken salad and tuna salad for you. No, man. The, the smell just, yeah. Doesn't oh. Do it for me. Oh man. I mean, no, can you do the ketchup mixed with mayonnaise? Can you do that? No, man. No, no, you know, no special sauce. <laughs> no, no special you know, sauce. Yeah, like, you know, no special sauce, none, none of that stuff. Um, just anything that's got mayonnaise in it, like, yeah, no You're spicy out. mayo, like sushi, no spicy, none of that. You're out. Okay. Yeah. That's a great answer. I don't agree with it, but it's a great answer. <laughs> okay. Let's move on to the story because you have a fascinating story about how NWT ended up opening their stores in the state of Wisconsin. So it's not a one store thing, but it's about how you entered Wisconsin you and you ended up owning and opening multiple stores. Take us through the story. Cause I find this one great. 
Yeah, so um, in 2017, uh, one of my friends, Rick, who was a like a national authorized retailer for AT&T, so he was in more than like four or five or six markets. He was all over. He was, um, he had called me up in, in like late 2017 and says, hey, I'm, I'm exiting the Wisconsin market and, uh, you know, I'd like to offer them to you. And so I said, fine, send me, send me the, you know, send me all the analytics and let me, let me do a deep dive and review everything. So he sends me, he sends me all this stuff and I call him back. I said, like, you know, Rick, you're, you're losing money. Like, I don't know what you're selling here. And he's pretty much like, I'm not going to sell you the stores. I'm going to give you the stores. And by the way, Rick is like the nicest guy in the world. Um, just the nice, one of the nicest human beings. So um, like, all right, get back to you. So I, I, my brother, Peter and I are in business. We've been in business, you know, this, this whole time for the last 24 years. So I, I brought it up to Peter and, you know, Peter's like, why do you want to do this? You know, we're everything we're, you know, we're in a really good situation with our 17 or 18 stores in Detroit. What's the reason, why do you want to do this? And I told him like, listen, like, I convinced him to do it and I showed him the numbers and he's like, the only way we'll do this, if we can get him to come to closing with $500,000, my initial reaction to Peter was like, you're, you know, you're doing this just to sabotage this deal. Like he's giving us these stores for free. <laughs> and, you know, we, we always got to agree on things. So I'm like, all right, I, I'm going to go back to Rick and he's the nicest guy in the world. And I'm after he just told me he'll give them to me, I'm going to ask him for a half a million bucks. So take him. I call him. <laughs> What's that? To take his stores. To take his stores. I'll buy your stores, but you have to give me $500,000 to do it. And I'm going to pay you zero. Yeah. So I, I call Rick and like, Rick, um, you know, we'll, we'll do that. You know, I told him and then he got silent. He, he, his, I didn't hear like crickets, right. For like, I think like it was like 10 seconds, but it felt like longer, you know? And then he says, um, he says, would you take 300,000? And I couldn't believe it when, when he responded. And I said, um, I'll call you back, Rick. And Peter, nope, don't want it. It's either half a million bucks or we're not doing the deal. Go back to Rick, Rick made it happen. Um, you know, he was able to get us the $500,000. Um, and that's basically, that's the, like the first, that's how we were able to get in. So. Wow. For a lot of people who aren't in business deals every day, that, that probably sounds so strange, but I've actually seen this before in, in many transactions actually where, and typically what happens is somebody has a large transaction. Maybe they're selling a hundred stores or they have a hundred million dollar business and they need to sell off a, a part of the business that's worth $400,000, but they, they have to get, get it all off. And sometimes the only way to make that sale happen is to transfer the interest. Was this one of those times? I have to imagine this was part of a larger sale. You're spot on, Chris. Okay. Um, <laughs> so this, the seller, um, the seller did not reveal that to us. Okay. 
we found that after the fact, but he, he had sold pretty much his entire portfolio, except the Wisconsin stores. Um, That's because they, they were losing. I felt a little, I mean, honestly, like I, I did, I did feel like a little betrayed because I'm like, you know, but then I got over it pretty quick because we got the half a million bucks. Um, so yeah, you're right. His stores, he sold all of them. Just the ones up in Wisconsin were the ones that he, uh, he sold to us. And you were buying how many stores in this transaction? It was, um, so it was seven stores, but only four of them were open and operating and there were three signed leases. Wow. Yeah. So this was going to be work. You had it. You weren't just buying existing operating fun cash flowing businesses. You were buying businesses that were failing and you were about to double down and open up three more. Yep. And so we, um, we analyzed the, you know, Oh, what, one other thing to add to that was the leadership for these, there was no district manager. So the leadership was out of Chicago. We weren't getting the district manager. Oh, wow. Um, so you're going to have to go higher. We had to hire. And I think there was, by the time we took over, um, by the time we took over the stores, there was only seven employees running four stores. Wow. And I think only th there was only, like not every store had a store manager. Like one of the stores was missing a store manager. So, yeah. So as part at, comes to closing with half a million dollars, you take the stores and the half a million to get the stores to profitability. Uh, well, first, are those four stores profitable today? You just bought it in 2017 and we just did a pandemic. Um, yeah, they, they are. Kudos to you. Um, but some of them have been relocated. Um, and then some of them have been reload. It, you know, and we, we have better management now. But uh, yeah, the short answer to your question is, is I think most of them are profitable. We might have one out there that's not, you know. And are the other three open? The other three opened up within six months of, of, of us going into the market because we closed, we went in on February 1st. And so they, they had opened up all within 2018. We had, by the end of 2018, we had seven, seven open locations. And, and now you have 10, you, have, you actually went and you opened three more, correct? We opened three more locations um, and um, they've been much better located. Like we, we picked out some really good real estate um, so the three that we did open up, we actually, what ended up happening, Chris, is the original seven, we ended up closing two. And then, so we opened up five new ones. That's how it really happened. Okay. Got yeah. it. So five of the seven stayed, and then we opened up five new ones. So I, I think here's the two questions that everyone's probably wondering that, so they can analyze this deal. So the first question, how much were the four stores losing every month? The four stores, we were, I think we were losing anywhere between five to 10,000 bucks a month. Wow. Per location. Wow. So, wow. Like we had, we had a mall location. It was a kiosk, probably a hundred square feet. The rent there I think we were paying was 17,000 a month in rent. We were paying like 1700 bucks a foot for that kiosk. Wow. And in its heyday, it was, it, you know, before we owned it, it, it was a good, you know, it was a good, um, 
it was a good store, but, um, you know, that, that was one of the reasons why we asked for, um, that was one of the reasons why we asked for it. Yeah. You, it's losing 20 to 40,000 a month. Wow. And the next question is he gave you 500 grand. Did you have to invest more than that to actually get these stores profitable and rebrand it? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we, we reinvested like the profits. I mean, thank, thank God, like Detroit was making money, but I would say for about a, like we spent like that, the half a million bucks was gone. And then I think we probably put in another million bucks from Detroit to get it to, to you know, to, to get it going. Wow. Yeah. Going back when you were like making the deal with Rick, what was it that you looked at and you said, you know what? I think we can turn these to profitability. Um, good question. So anytime you're local, like anytime there's local ownership, like like Rick was based out of like Missouri. Right. And his management was in Chicago. Like his, his district managers were running out of Chicago. Um, and so we, and then we also had an analytics into how many customers were visiting his stores per month. We, we took that data and we said, if we can execute this business plan, we can get we and we can convert a certain percentage of customers from just walk-ins into sales and generate revenue. We can break even, and then eventually make a little bit of money. And we weren't even looking to make a lot of money. What we were trying to do, Chris, was um, expand our footprint, like in the market. You know, that's that was one of the things we were trying to do. Got it. Okay. It's a, a fascinating story. You're able to bring this interesting deal to the table. It wasn't lollipops and rainbows under the hood of the deal. And, but you went in and you turned it around and it's still working. And now you, in 2016, you had zero stores in Wisconsin. Now you have 10. And really, really cool story. And I think you bring something to the show that most people haven't heard of, you know, at the, this someone giving you the stores essentially plus cash to try to help uh, get these to profitability. Times like that though, when you, you, you were pushing for it, your, your brother wanted it to be perfect. When you start rolling in 2018, 2019, I imagine there was some tug and pull between you and your brother on this transaction, you know, not only was it the 500, you had to sink another million dollars in. How was navigating those waters? You know, um, that's a good, that is such a damn good question because it, it made our, I'll put it this way. That was a really tough time for us knowing like you're seeing, you know, this thing is just like, it's bleeding, pretty, money. You know, it's bleeding money, right? And my brother, um, he was against it. Um, he, he moved to Wisconsin and he, he like, 
picked up his family and moved to Wisconsin. I can imagine that car ride to his, to his <laughs> wife. Why are we moving to my Wisconsin? Cause my brother had to buy this business and I can't let it. And he's taking all the money from Detroit and letting it implode and we're losing everything. So I got to go. Yep. And that's pretty much, you know, that's, that's probably, you know, that's probably what, you know, how it went down, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> so he, um, dude, he, he set up shop there and built some really strong relationships with the local community, the talent that was there. I mean, he like handpicked and recruited the best talent in the market. And he forged some really strong relationships with like AT&T account managers, um, AT&T executives that were there. And what that did was, is it built our brand awareness, like MWT's local brand awareness out there to where we were known as like one of the most respected employers in the market. Wow. And so um, people advocated for us and AT&T wanted to see us win. I mean, we, we really, uh, we took that risk and they, they want, they really wanted to see us win. Um, but I think that was the, probably the biggest thing was him going out there and, and recruited the way he recruited, he, he recruited his butt off. Wow. What a great story in a transaction like that. How much is AT&T corporate involved? First of all, like you have to get their consent. So, right. and you know, and you're not going to, there's going to be no deal without their consent. And so they have to, you know, and I had a really good relationship with the VPGM in the market and she was out of Chicago. She, um, she, we had a really good relationship with her. So she advocated for us to, to do the deal. Um, and so because of her approval, we're able to get like the legal consent to move, to move forward with the closing. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, listen, that's a great story and I'm glad it's working out today and truly fascinating. No one's told one like that on the show before. So really appreciate you doing that. Sure. I, I want to move to the business for a second, just overall as this dealer authorized retailer world that you live I think a lot of people think of a cell phone store and the money comes from this and I'm holding up my iPhone right now, but, but what's really critical are the subscribers and the people signing up for the service. So can you walk us through that for a second? I think that would be helpful to the audience. Really good um, point that you bring up, Chris, and you're absolutely correct. Um, it's, it's somewhat of a backwards business model. And what I mean by that is, is the carrier is going to, you know, front the cut, like you're going to get your thousand dollar iPhone. Um, and they're usually free. Like if you sign up for new service, typically the iPhone is with AT&T for the last three or four years, they've just been giving it for free as long as you sign up for the, the installment, you know, the, the contract or whatever. Right. And so they're giving you the thousand dollar iPhone and then um, they're going to make their money up. 50, 40 bucks a month, right? Over the next three or four years, you know, like three years, let's just say. And so that's, so the, they call it monthly reoccurring fees. So the way the carrier makes money 
is from the monthly reoccurring fees. And as long as you're a customer, that's how they, that's how they make money. Right. And you as a, and so they compensate you for that. So what they do for us is they say, all right, um, just ballpark, you'll get four to six times the monthly reoccurring revenue that's generated from that transaction. So if it say it's 50 bucks a month, you might get like, and if it's safe, it's worth five times of the MRC. Um, like I probably shouldn't, it's, pro, it's probably like, I probably are not supposed to say exactly, but I'm just giving you an idea. It's the dealer's getting a multiplier of the monthly recurring charge okay. of the customer's bill. Now, depending on the carrier, each carrier is different and each brand is different. Like there's brands that only pay like one time MRC and there's brands that pay like six times MRC. Got and it. so you're getting, that's on a new line. If it's a renewal, one, two times, three times MRC on renewal. So that's, that's the model. And what you're doing is, what you're trying to do is you get so many customers walking in, right? And then if you can convert those, those walk-ins into renewals or up or, or new lines or renewals, then that's how you're, that's how you're generating revenue to the business. So you bring up something interesting, which is you're, you're really in the service business almost more than the, you know, the retail service business, more than the actual product business. It's a retail service. You're selling a retail product, but you're also selling a retail service where the bread and butter is made. And so I, I'm curious how e-commerce has impacted this. How has online impacted your world? So, um, it, you know, think about this, right? Like that, you bring up a really good point. Um, you know, you think about like when Apple does the announcement, hey, we, you know, we're doing the iPhone 13 that just sounds right. There's a segment of customers that will, um, there's a segment of customers that will watch that recording of the Apple recording when, you know, when it comes out. And as soon as it's, you know, pre like the pre-launch where you could pre-order, they're ordering the phone without even like having seen it like live. They don't even care. They're just like new iPhone. I'm getting it. And some people don't even watch the, like the live Apple like thing. Right. Some people just say, Oh, it's the new one. I don't even need to, I don't even have seen it, but I'm just going to order it. Cause I know I want the newest one. You have a pretty big chunk of customers that do that. And when that happens, that doesn't, obviously it doesn't come to us. It's going to Apple or it's going to go into like AT&T direct. Right. There's still a lot. There's another segment of customers that are, um, they want to do business in the store. Um, the, the, the biggest driver for that is they don't know how to, they still come in like, Hey, I want, I want to see the new iPhone. And it looks like the last one that they had. Cause it's just a black screen when you look at it. Right. Um, they want to know a little bit about the benefits, but they still, they still really don't care. They're more interested that it's the newest iPhone and they want to get it. But the biggest like thing for them is the dilemma is how do I get my, my contact, like all my content from my old phone to my new phone. And I'm, and they don't, they're afraid to like mess it up. They don't want to do anything. They don't want to lose anything. That's the biggest thing. And you know, our, our retail sales associates, they do it every day. They do it seven days a week. So they, they can do it with their eyes closed. So they come in knowing that all of their, 
content, all of their pictures and their photos and everything they have is all going to be moved over. And, and that, you know, I, I think the other piece of that is those are all great points. Isn't the other piece like the plans, like even for sophisticated customers, like getting your arms around, like the different plans and deals to me, is like really hard to navigate online. I don't know if you see that a lot, but I think it's easier to navigate in a store when you're talking. Good, to good question. Good point. Sorry. So you're right. Like if you're, if like what I just mentioned, if it's like a renewal, like you already have AT&T and you're going to stick to everything. Hey, I don't want to change my plan. I mean, but like, say you're coming from like a different carrier, right? Like I'm coming from Verizon. Um, you come in, you know, you might not be sure about all the plans. Um, you, you're just browsing. If, if, if I can qualify you and find out what you're looking for, what you have and, and learn more about you um, and where you work, um, maybe you own your own business, um, who do you have for your home internet? Cause we sell home internet. And if I can create a package for you and get you every discount that we have, um, that's typically not something that you're going to be able to do on like online. That's going to be a lot more difficult to do online, uh, than what, what, what we would be able to do in the store. I mean, that, that is a major, major advantage. And so having for us, having like retail sales associates that like know their stuff and know their promotions and know how to like bundle and cross sell and create like a, a really good solution for the customer. That's the value they can bring to a, to a customer. I think that sure. And where the customer wouldn't need to go on the internet, they could just come in um, and, and get that. So this has been fascinating. I do have one recommendation that I think could get dealer stores, corporate stores, sales to skyrocket. Ready for this? Love to hear it. I need the in-store process to be much quicker. It's not that it's any faster online, but I want to be able to walk into a store, get anything I want, in and out in 10, 15 minutes. And if I'm getting a new cell phone plan, it's really hard. It's really hard for that to happen. I've been at a cell phone store for hours before. And, and I think a lot of people have had that. And I say that it's no different online or if I'm calling Verizon or AT&T, it's gonna be a long time on that phone. But the carrier who gets the in-store experience, lightning speed, whoo. That's going to be really interesting to see. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, I got, I know that AT and T, they're they're pretty uh, more transparent than they should be with dealers. They show us, like they talk to us and say, "Look, like here's what we're investing in our systems and IT and improving." And and they're always trying to, you know, they're always trying to improve that process. That's that's one of the biggest, that's, that, that's the part of the retail experience I think we can improve on. Um, so I, I would, I would agree with you on that. Yeah. And, and as you know, like it's, you're, we're selling a service and we're also selling, even though the revenue generated doesn't come from the product, but you still have a piece of equipment. Yeah. And so, and trying to move that stuff over, like trying to transfer that equipment over. Yeah, it's, it's not simple. Like zap, like what needs to, I wish that there was like maybe Apple, somebody comes up with it that just literally like it just zap, like flashes it. Like it's just a flash. 
like two minute flash, one minute flash, and then everything just moves. That's current, that process is not, that technology isn't there yet, but if, if somebody can crack that code, that would be a absolute game changer for our industry. Yeah, I think so too. You've been a wealth of knowledge. This has been so fascinating. I want to bring us to the last part of the show. You ready? We call it retail wisdom. I got three questions for you. Go. All right. Question one, what extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? Uh, probably blockbuster video. Good one. Popular one. Okay. Question two, what's the last item over $20 you bought in a store? Um, I, I bought some bourbon, um, walked into, uh, like a liquor store and bought some bourbon. Kind of bourbon. Um, I don't remember the guy. It was the guy recommended. It was a total, it was at total wine. It was like this really huge badass retailer in, uh, in Milwaukee. And he, he told, he recommended some really good bourbons, but I don't remember the names. See everybody. That's the power of the retail associate. He recommended it. And you ended up buying it. That's why you need. Oh, I bought, I walked in to buy one bottle. I ended up buying three. <laughs> and That's there why more you need than 20 retail associates in your stores. <laughs> okay. Last question. If you and I were in target and I lost you, what aisle would I find you in? Um, I have two small daughters and I'm always getting them toys. So I'd probably be in the toy aisle. I was in the toy at Target yesterday. I know all too much. (laughs) I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I think she has that Barbie. She has that Barbie. She has that one. She has that one. I don't know what to do. So. (laughs) Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Well, Paul, listen, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, really appreciate it, man. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.